You're about to listen to a special edition of the Colorado Sports Guys podcast brought to you by the Denver Chop House, located at 19th and Wine Coop. Nuggets fans, Avs fans, Broncos fans, Rockies fans, visit the Denver Chop House, belly up to the bar, enjoy one of their fine craft beers, order a steak, a sandwich, go there for breakfast. They love us, we love you, and enjoy this edition of the Colorado Sports Guys podcast. From CSG Studios, high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. What's up, everybody out there on the interwebs? We are live once again at Jake's Food and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street, where they've rolled out a new lunch menu. As we're told by our well, it's not big a, stiff, it, Andrew Feinstein. Uh, we're going to have to look at Andy here. Andy, what's the menu called? Munchie menu. The munchie menu, okay. The munchie menu. Munchie menu. coincide with the legalization of Colorado's marijuana, I'm assuming. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it is a $2, $4, and $6 menu. And uh, we were told to just tell you that. So just come down and find out what is on the menu. And yes, we'll go from there. So we will. That voice you're hearing, of course, is the King of Thornton, Jeff Morton. What is up, everybody? And we're privileged tonight to have two amazing Denver sports legend guests on with us here on the Colorado Sports Guys. Uh, first, we got the the, the man on one hundred four point three, the fan, about to venture into a very brand new time slot, Mister Sandy Clough. Opposite Mr. Les Shapiro. Opposite well, Mr. I got to tell you, we were beating Julius Scott in the ratings on Monday. <laughs> so badly, they had to move Sandy exactly into that right. new three slot. Just exactly right. We had to CJ. class it up yeah. a little. So that's a, um, but, yeah, Sandy, you've, you've got a new time slot, so you'll be moving to noon, to noon to 3, right? Noon to 3, starting Monday, March 3rd. Wow. And you will be with Drew and Scott. Occasionally. Occasionally. When they, they travel when they show up. Yeah. <laughs> when they're in town. Right. <laughs> so that's good. And we also, that other voice you heard was Mr. Les Shapiro. 102.3 ESPN Denver. Noon to three every day. Noon to three. CJ and Les show. CJ and Les. Great show. Both of them are great shows. I will be listening to both simultaneously. I'm pissed because now I can't listen to Sandy between nine and noon. Oh, yeah. It bothers right. me. Where do you think I get all my material? <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem right there, most definitely. Well, that's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, I've, I've come to love Sandy's on-demand section because I, I, I'm rarely around during live sports talk, and you guys do a great job on 104.3 of the on-demand, of being able to go back and listen. Less I can actually catch you live most I of the time. I haven't figured out the technology again, <laughs> yeah. but most everybody else has. Do you well, archive your whole show? Can you go back and listen to the whole show? Yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah they podcast. Haven't the whole done show. that myself, okay. but yeah. we, we archive our inter- we archive all our interviews. Yeah, yeah the, you guys do clips yeah. on one hundred two three. Yes, it's on the site. Um, but they 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 archive the entire show on one hundred two three. So Nate, that's what he's been taking advantage of there. Um, the um, Mr. Manugian, if you're listening, that's what you should do for those of us who are wanting to listen to Les's show that we miss. Just letting you know. So. Well, there's an obvious solution to that. You just quit your job and listen to my show all day. <laughs> that's a good right? way to look at it, too. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad. Let's venture into some uh, some Colorado Rockies talk. I can't believe we let Les talk us into this, but 
We're going to go there, I guess. The, uh, You're leading with the Rockies. We're leading with the Rockies. All right. People can hit fast forward on these pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> they do pretty well. But so what? Pitchers and catchers have reported. Is Everybody's that, there now. Everybody's there. Yeah. yeah, full squad. I saw that former Rockies draft pick uh, Russell Wilson is going to be with the Texas Rangers. Yeah. Well, he's not going to be with them, but, but he, he's, he's showing he's up hanging to, to do some motivational speaking next month. Is he? Is he? Yes. That's it. Now, did they just transfer his rights? Is that what happened with there? Did they? Or did they? How did they acquire? How the Rockies let another yeah. guy get away? <laughs> <laughs> well, he really wasn't. He, he wasn't playing all that well in the minors. He couldn't hit the. He like couldn't, so many hit, the others, couldn't hit the curveball. Yeah. I think Clint Eastwood. Most of you know what? I that. have a feeling anyway. He's going to stick with the football thing. I think he might be pretty good. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. yeah. He might do that. Well, Super Bowl champ on his resume now. I mean, he has no reason to go back to baseball. Um, so how about them rocks? How are they looking? Are you guys heading down to spring training? I, well, I think the big story, Sandy, if you would agree, is, is I, the, the guy at the top of the rotation, Jolie Shashin, is already being shut down, and they're already talking about him missing some starts in April. That exactly. doesn't bode well. No, no it's, uh, the, the diagnosis seems very ominous to me, particularly when you consider two years ago he missed a huge yeah. chunk of time with uh, seemingly related problems. You know, Vegas has come out and said that the Rockies – uh, in all probability, will once again finish in last place in the NL West. With about 76, 77 right. wins. Which, Sandy, is about right because under Dan O'Dowd's stewardship over That's the last 14 years, they're 76 <laughs> and 86 right. every year. Right. Well, And th- this is what leads me into a question for both of you. You guys have been, oh, well, all of us have been around the Rockies since their inception in 1993. Yep. And what has occurred to me is... There is there is more frustration publicly with the Rockies right now, public frustration, not just private grumbling, than I've heard in ever. It's in, in the, their twenty-two year inception since their since their nineteen ninety. Oh, that's been building. I would yeah. say over the last six years, particularly the last five. Given the expectations yeah. coming out of the World Series appearance in 07. Yeah. And they've, for all but four months since, basically, fallen flat on their face. I say four, last four months of 09, first two weeks in September of 2010, they were pretty good. Yeah. Otherwise, they've been mediocre to poor. Oh, yeah, they've been. I, I would agree with you. Since yeah. the World Series of 07. Yeah. I, I, would, I would say that the grumbling and the disgust yeah. is... is being voiced much more than it has in the but past. But there's always Dick Montfort there for comic relief. Yeah. The 90-win the projection was hilarious. And I, I actually took an hour of my time that I'll never get back <laughs> to go back. I was aware that inside of a 162 regulation season or yeah. fewer games, the Rockies have won 90 games. Yeah. One time. Yep. One time. 2009, they won 92. I went back 20 years. Yeah. Their first year in 1993, totaled up all the teams who have won 90 or more games over the last 20 years. I guess there might be about 100. 148. Wow. The Rockies have done what 147 other times has happened in 20 once. You know the problem, though? One out of 148. Here's the biggest problem, <laughs> though, guys. that's the wow. ownership projection for 2014. Yeah, there are a lot of baseball fans in this town. Yeah, there aren't enough hardcore fans in this town who will impact the team if they stop buying tickets because that beautiful ballpark and it's the one thing the Rockies do well—they keep up that ballpark well. Yes, 
then their the tickets are beautiful. reasonably the, priced. The tickets oh, are yeah. reasonably priced. That's the biggest part, too. Um, yeah. They're available. Mm-hmm. It's in a perfect section of town. It's downtown in a touristy, large city where you're going to get just from you know, residual people walking around, you're going to get a good walk-up almost every night. The nights are beautiful here, and the place gets filled. 2.7 million people went through the turnstiles wow. last year for a very bad for team. a crap team. They're yeah. not necessarily baseball fans. They're out for a fun night with 30,000 of their best friends, and because of this, because this team is still making money, hand over fist, by the way, they make a lot of money. Dick Montfort is not compelled to rethink what he's doing. You know, it's an interesting concept because I think there is a lot of very good, I think both of you will agree with this, there's a lot of very good baseball fans in Denver. A vast, a lot of them uh, listen to the Cardinals, a lot of them listen, listen to the Cubs. Um, you know, I'm pointing at, pointing at Les because he's from Chicago. But, you know, a lot, of, a lot of them listen to both because, you know, we, Denver didn't have one. But the problem is they remained Cubs and Cardinals fans. They're not invested emotionally in the Rockies. That's absolutely true. And it's different in baseball that way as opposed to the other three sports. I I think there's a different sort of definition when it comes to a baseball fan or a good baseball fan. A good baseball fan follows the sport at a particular team that may not be the local team. There's more of that involved than there is within the fan groups of the other three. Yeah. You know, we, we've been recently talking about... Major professional sports. Uh, yeah. on, on our show, Sandy, Sandy's show and my show, about the, the possibility that maybe the, the Nuggets need to blow things up. Yeah. Start over. Yeah. Well, the Rockies need to blow up the whole front office. Yes. Dick Monfort needs to remove himself as, as um, an operator on a day-to-day basis and just become a fan again. Yeah. Hire a president, somebody who actually knows how to run a sports organization, who can take a big old fucking push broom and sweep that whole management team out of there yeah. because it's been 14 years. Yeah. They don't know how to get it done. Yeah. No, I agree. But, but all that Dick Monfort really knows and what he's come to believe emanates from what he's heard from... Odad in particular, but right. all of those baseball yeah. he just people parrots, have been with him. Yeah, he just it, parrots what right. they said. Yeah, exactly. He really doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a sponge, yeah. right. and he spits it back uh, out. And He shouldn't be allowed near a microphone or a computer. Because every time, <laughs> as, as somebody said to me, a, a, a long-time season ticket holder who refused to buy the last two years said to me, the one thing I can't stand about this organization, first of all, the fish stinks at the head in yeah. any business. Yeah. Uh, if, if Andrew wasn't a good operator at Jake's, this place would be out of business. Yeah. All right? yeah. The fish stinks at the head. He's the head. Yeah. All right? Dick Monfort is. Yeah. And every time he voices an opinion, or really Dan O'Dowd's opinion, he steps on his dick every single time. Uh, honestly, <laughs> do you believe, Les, any of you, that... If somehow, for some reason, they did make a change, he would know, I'm serious about this, I'm not being facetious, that he would know how to hire the kind of person that Les I'm not convinced at all. I don't think he knows That's a good point. And it's not his lack of intelligence or lack of a work ethic that bothers him. It's his... Complete lack of curiosity. Yeah. yeah. So he knows, you know he doesn't know people around baseball. 
He, he just he doesn't. If I've you been told this business I've been told years ago, even Dick, if you didn't like baseball, <laughs> wouldn't you be curious just as a businessman as to what makes successful teams yeah. work? But he doesn't talk to people outside of the organization. It's they don't take advice. They yeah. don't take counsel. He he doesn't. He never grabs another general manager from another team or another president and say, "Hey, what are you doing that's working?" Yep. They don't do that because they already think they know what they're doing. And you know why? Because Dan O'Dowd has convinced Dick Monfort that he knows what he's doing. That yeah. he, Dan O'Dowd, knows what he's doing. And, and Dick doesn't know any he, better because he doesn't know anybody else. he can succeed yeah. due to the fact right. that he's been around here for 15 well, years I will, I will, and he's done all these studies and developed yeah, all Dick these Dick thinks they'd have to start over. Yeah, no, exactly. you have to start over. Let me, let me tell you this. Jerry McMorris hired Dan O'Dowd, famously. Hired, hired Dan O'Dowd. And, and you remember then, what he said when he hired him? Uh, uh, he w- said, he's the baseball Shanahan. Exactly. He's the baseball Shanahan. Mike Shanahan. And then the pallid, I remember the pallid look on his face after they signed Denny Nagel and Mike Hampton. And they had that press conference. He walked off, and I believe someone in the media said, um, Jerry McMorris said, God, I hope we hit this right. You know, I hope we got it because it was just... Because at that time, the Monforts were breathing down his neck to get to, to start the transition. Yes, exactly. You're exactly right. And, exactly and, I right. Think, and I think once Dan O'Dowd was installed already when Monfort came in, that's all he knew. Because we, I, classically, the Monforts had to be begged to, to, help, to save the uh, – because Mickey Monas uh, and uh, – John Antonucci. Antonucci, yeah. well, you know, they, that fell apart. Yes. And – well, yeah, they're in jail now, I think. No, 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 no. Oh, they're not in jail? Antonucci, was, Antonucci <laughs> didn't do anything illegally. <laughs> oh, okay. Antonucci was a good guy who put a lot of good people was in Was it Monas? That, that he hired Bob Gebhard. He hired yeah. Don Baylor. Uh, Monas was the one who went to jail, and he has gotten out in the last year, year and a half, something like that. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's, so they had to be begged into it. And then we're, they're basically passengers on the ship until the Rockies started like, oh, my God, this is, <laughs> we can make a lot of money here. They sold their own business. And then invested in the Rockies, or quote invested in the Rockies, bought out, kind of brought out uh, Jerry McMorris, more pushed him out, and now you have what's left over. You have a basically uh, owners who aren't baseball fans, claiming to be baseball fans, who have don't have the competence to hire or fire the general manager that came with the organization. You guys, have, you guys have all missed the biggest question surrounding the Rockies and Major League Baseball. Ozzie Smith brought it up. He stole it from me. <laughs> Are they going to make opening day a national well, holiday? And my question today on the air was, what constitutes opening day? Yeah, it doesn't make a whole anymore. lot of sense to me. There right? is no real mm-hmm. opening day in baseball. How about the first now week? you have the phenomenon well, well, uh, wait, almost no, every year, right, in which you have teams opening and then resuming their spring training Schedule hey. and then coming back and oh, playing regular because they game. go out. Yeah. yeah that's well, this right. year the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers are opening a week before anybody else in Australia. Exactly. And then you'll have a Sunday night game. That's the opener. Then you'll have Monday in Cincinnati, which is the opener. Then some teams, you, you've got four or five different days where the season's opening. Yep. So you guys mean, are if making. Anything, if anything should be a national holiday, it's, yeah. it's Super Bowl Sunday or the day after the, the day Super Bowl. Exactly. The Super Bowl should be. A, yeah. should be a well, what about just the whole month of April then? I mean, that, <laughs> that sounds good. That. What are we? Well, you're everybody we, take, we take a in whole April. month off. Yeah, take, yeah, <laughs> what take are we? Should we be doing this in Italian? What's the deal? Well, see, I mean, I'm going to be down at Lodo for. Opening day, yeah, 
and I'm hoping to get some tickets. I don't know if I can. Well, that is what is considered in Denver to be opening day. Yeah, what yes. is it? Home opening yeah, day. Home, home opening, opening day. day. But that's what all my friends do. They go to the you know either View House, uh, Lodos, or Denver Tavern, downtown Tavern, and they just party all day. Everybody meets at 10 a.m. Oh, yeah, there are 50,000 seats, but about 150,000 people show up it's downtown. It's insane. They want, to, they want to be around it. It's insane. Yeah. It is unbelievable. I remember uh, JT the Brick was here a couple years ago. And he was um, he was talking about uh, JT the Brick is a national city on. Fox you might be Sports. thinking of Cowherd. Yeah, no, no, it was no, JT, JT the Brick. JT because he was right. the the fan, and he came in. And he was like, "This is amazing. How many people have just flooded this area?" Because I've never seen anything like this. And I, th- I don't think it's unique to Colorado, but I think it's kind of the way they've embraced it. But that also tells you, kind of like, there's a whole bunch of down people down there being getting drunk. You know, all day they're treating and it like St. Patrick's. The problem day. with that is, well, yeah, well, yeah so. that's a boon to local business. <laughs> what is right your there? point? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shut up now, okay? That's Old what man, I'm do Jeff, it. get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of Rockies talk for I don't know what month this is. February? That's too much Rockies for. It's February. almost March. Yeah, we've, we've Let got. Let me give you another one, uh, because I have a lot of time to waste. <laughs> I'll probably have more with two co-hosts starting on Monday, but I went back over exactly the. I wanted to pick a good round number. Last 500 games for everybody. The Rockies are one of the five worst teams over that period in Major League Baseball. Wow. It's a lot to look forward to. So, you want to know what Dick Monford told some reporters from the Denver Post in a private meeting? He told them, I don't like it when you call my team a last place team. <laughs> he said, Do you realize? He's talking about last year's. Finish. He says, you must "Do you be realize the last two years of the standings <laughs> upside down?" Well, well, you're not going to believe this one. He said, "He said, <laughs> do you put the standings? Do you guys do know it. that last year we finished only two games behind the San Francisco Giants? Well, the San Francisco Giants were a fourth place team and not very good. And he <laughs> says, but they won, but they won the World Series the year before that. Well, what does that have to do with last season? No, in all they were bad though, last season. Here's the <laughs> argument he could make if he knew anything." <laughs> and, and it'll be the argument that uh, gets made by every team in baseball, I'll bet, for the next five years, that fails to win 70 games in a given year. They'll say, well, look at the 2013 Boston Red Sox. They went from 69 wins to 97 and won the World Series. Oh, that, that would be a better argument. That would be a better argument. That would be a better argument. So you know Valentine, yeah. that the better argument or the best argument is the one that Dick Montfort will never make. That's That's true. <laughs> That is absolutely true. I, I, you guys are absolutely right. All right, we got to stop. Right. We got to stop this rocky stuff. I was just I've agreeing with them, though. I could see I their heads getting bigger. You know, you can take this. Pain on Nate's can, face. I mean, he is literally me. in pain. Physical. <laughs> He's actually sweating. Physical pain. Hey, you can take this section and edit it to the back end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. right? I can do that. Yes, I have that power. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's talk a little nuggets. I, I have a question to pose to you guys, and we'll, we'll kind of delve into everything from there. Uh, are we going to look back? We've already talked about it a little bit, but was Danilo Gallinari's ACL injury something that changed the franchise of the Denver Nuggets forever? Yeah, George Carl's still the coach if he never tears that ACL. Why are you saying because they win a second-round series? Or a first they round, they won, won a first, the first, win a first round, round series, series for sure. And get to the second round. And the second round series with San Antonio, I think, would have gone at least six games and probably seven. Wow. See, I would take a different technique. I would say Masai Ujiri leaving led to the unraveling, very quick unraveling of this franchise. 
Uh, Masai Ujiri was a very, very good general manager. Very smart, very astute. Um, I believe once he left, they Iguodala lost, was they, gone. They lost their time. rudder. Then they lost Iguodala, who had a good relationship with Masai Ujiri. And then everything needed to change, didn't it? Pretty everything. Much, yeah. I mean, losing Iguodala changed the dynamic of this team offensively and definitely defensively. Uh, it led to a change in the general manager's job when Masai left. That led to a change in the head coach. I mean, I, the dominoes. The, the, if yeah. Masai Ujiri yeah. is still here, Iguodala could very well still be here. Uh, now, obviously, you can't predict injuries, right. but um, I don't know that Gallinari would have been allowed to go to his own doctor if Masai Ujiri was still here. I don't yeah, know that. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, could be because he, he got that procedure done yeah. while there was no management. Yeah, but if you, want, if you want to look at that short period of time, Nate and, and Sandy, yeah, if Gallinari is healthy, there's a good chance they win that first-round series against Golden State. George is still here. They're still a running team. Uh, Kenneth Fareed doesn't go rogue on the new head coach. I mean, there's a, yeah. there's a lot of stuff well, Nate that changes. Not here. Nate yeah. Robinson's not here. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Can you imagine Nate Robinson and George Carl? That locker room might explode. Oh, man, George would. We would get the first Lachelle Sprewell, P.J. Carlissimo moment. <laughs> since, <laughs> since that that would yeah, be except it would be George. It would be <laughs> Coach strangling the player. Not the player. Yeah, I, you know, I, and it's interesting, you guys, because I, I'm okay. I, I said this off the podcast, but I'll have to say it on the on the podcast. Got to give Mr. Mr. Shapiro some credit. Um, on a podcast we did last year, he was the first person, first person, to call Masai Ujiri leaving and going to Toronto. The first. Well, I, because I, of Tim Lywicky. I, I Lywicky. know how Tim Lywicky, the, the person who runs uh, all of those Toronto franchises, I know how he operates. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew he was going to throw enough money at Masai that Masai couldn't say no. Mm-hmm. Once the Philadelphia 76ers made a serious run, that's where they messed up. You yep. knew. Yep. That when the Nuggets didn't address the situation immediately thereafter, there would be trouble. And a smart operator like Liewicki, who had some money in back of him, would come after Masai and wouldn't miss on him the way the 76ers yeah. had. Yeah. There'd well, be they, a smarter guy with more resources. And that turned out to be Tim Liewicki, the yeah. smarter guy, who also happened to have the necessary resources to make an offer that probably in good conscience the Nuggets at that point weren't going to be able to match. But the Nugget mistake was not was not in before. addressing the situation yeah. immediately after Philadelphia made its run the previous year. Yeah. Sewing him up earlier. So, right. And, 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 and at less, a much less said lower that, figure. Yes. And Les said that on the podcast. You know, you said they should have signed him. Or, I mean, I get, you know, giving you all, all due credit, uh, Les, you... you you went out a little on the on the limb there because most people were saying at that time Masai look, will be here. Look, oh, look, oh, look, I, only yeah. about ninety five percent of the people out there. Yeah. Were. <laughs> I, I remember, and I certainly didn't have the insight in that particular case that Les did, and the, the it was wherewithal to come out. And make, it was it was a guess. make that projection, but. But it's totally a guess. But I, 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 <laughs> whenever I brought up during the course of the season that the Nuggets had missed an opportunity to sign at very reasonable rates Messiah Jerry for the long term, the response I got inevitably was these two are very close friends, Messiah Jerry yeah. and Josh Cronkin. Absolutely. They'll work things out. You're just stirring things up yep. for effect. I was actually dramatically understating the case, and I should have been stronger. My mistake was not being stronger on it the way Les was stronger. 
here's oh, Kendall. Yeah. Well, that's not how the Cronkies operate, though. That's true. They, they, they say you play out your contract. That's right. That's what that's right. I don't. Have they given an extension to any player or coach? Well, you saw since, since they've owned teams. Yeah, you saw they, Costa they, Kufis got extension. Done it with, they've done Daniel Gallinari. With Gallo and, yeah. But they never do it with executives. Yeah. Executives have been tough. Um, they remember and they and like, I think that's because, they and, like, and look, Stan still has a big say in what goes on here. Yeah. Josh is whatever you want to call him, the governor, the president of the organization. Team but, yeah, but, yeah. but the dad, Stan, still has a big, big say, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to big budget items. Oh, yeah. absolutely. On, yeah. on macro decisions like that, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think something, too, that I think fans are starting to struggle with or that they are struggling with is, you know, when you had Masai Ujiri, you know, he's building a house, right? I think the team is a house. He's building this house. Maybe he has the drywall up, you know, and then he takes this job in Toronto, and people think that Tim Conley's going to come in and Josh Kroenke's going to continue building that same house when it's clear to me that, you know, hiring Tim Conley, Brian Shaw, and Josh growing a different way was you're taking a wrecking ball to that house and you're rebuilding it. it. This isn't a continuation of what Denver was trying to do. There's definitely a new direction here and a new vision for the team. What that is, I don't think we know yet, but I mean, this isn't a re- or building on top of what Masai did. This is a teardown and rebuild to me. Uh, I, I just, I, I've been continually mystified over the last nine months at the theory that you take uh, to use your, terminology a, a house that's three quarters of the way built with the foundation is clearly established and you take a wrecking ball to that taking a wrecking ball to the colorado avalanche after five failed seasons only one of which resulted in a playoff appearance one of the worst three records in the nhl over that five-year period perfectly understandable of course you take a wrecking ball to that uh josh Cronkey deserves credit for what he's done and the specific decisions Absolutely. that were made however a lot of us would have reacted to the last five years of the Avalanche in much the same way he did. I don't know of too many people who would have reacted the way Josh, Stan, whomever else reacted in a position of power to a team that had been one of the four best NBA teams over the previous five years and had come off its winningest NBA regular season ever and was trending up in virtually every measurable category. Yes, the playoff series was a disappointment. Yes, even without Gallinari, they should have found a way to win. No, it was hardly George Carl's uh, finest hour, even in a, in a playoff context down through the years where George has had his problems. It was not uh, a, a tremendously well-coached series from his point of view. But the essential elements, the, 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 all the metrics that these guys seem to feel they know rather well, second in pace last year, five in points, per fifth and points per 100 possessions. 11th defensively is about as good a defensive team as they had had uh, at any point here in Denver in recent memory. There was a lot to build on well, there. But think and of, they dismantled it seemingly piece by piece, well, starting with the executive of the year, moving to the coach of the year. Yeah. Obviously, the coaching staff leaves. The players change, uh, not entirely because of injuries either. And the, the interesting, the whole Gallinari thing, there was some kind of ground rule that we couldn't talk about the Gallinari injury last year, yeah. even though he missed the entire playoff series at Golden State and had been by far Denver's best player against Golden State during the regular season in the four games that were played. But this year, that's all we can talk about. The, the Nuggets, for all the talk about injuries, of the players who were healthy at the start of the year, coming out of the All-Star break, one guy missed 10 games or more. 
JaVale McGee, without whom they were better. <laughs> right? At least initially. <laughs> right? That's the only guy. Uh, you'd think to read mainly the newspaper accounts that they've got five or six guys coming out of the All-Star break who have missed 20, 30, 40 games or more. One. 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 Nate, Nate, Nate to you. use your house metaphor, think yeah. of it in these terms. The Nuggets are a freestanding home in the middle of the Oklahoma Plains, and the wind comes whipping down those plains, all right? <laughs> they got hit by a tornado. Yeah. Masai leaving. George getting fired. Restructuring this roster in, in great part. A tornado hit this house, and it might not be a complete rebuild, but there are only a few walls still standing, and they're trying to yeah. build with those walls that are still standing. Well, I don't know if it's going to work. Shaw's taking the proverbial hammer to those yeah. walls. Well, well, yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if those walls are still going to be around. Yeah. They might end up taking down those walls, too. You know, it's a little like Reagan saying to Gorbachev, tear down those walls. Uh, that's what Brian Shaw and Tim Connolly might end up doing. JaVale McGee might not be on this roster. Ty Lawson, there are rumors that, that they might be looking at point guards in the future. Ty Lawson might not be on this roster. Uh, Daniil Gallinari probably will be. They want to see what he turns out to be. They want to give him a shot coming back off of two knee surgeries. But this, this franchise, this organization was hit by a tornado. And it's going to take a little while to build it back up. A little bit of it is a self-caused tornado. Oh, absolutely. You know, oh, it's yeah, a, it's no, a, it's a, no doubt. How many, how many times can you say that? In sports history. How, many, how many times can you oh, say that? I didn't that say it was an act of God. <laughs> okay? I just said it was a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> they, they created their own tornado yeah. and destroyed their own house. So let's which, talk is, a, which is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen, you know, in, in, in basketball history. Do you guys like the direction of where they're going? Do you, do you like what you've seen from, from Tim Conley, from Brian Shaw? I, I don't know where they're going I understand yet. the direction. Uh, I, I, I can't uh, endorse it. I can't condemn it because I, I can't figure out the direction we don't know it yet. they're seeking to move. We don't know, I, I we don't know no, Conley right. well enough. That's right. I, I, I to read know where Chris he wants Dempsey's to take piece in the Denver Post on Sunday, and there are two diametrically opposed theories advanced. One is that the injuries and the injuries of loan killed this team, and you merely wait for the injured players to get healthy, and by the start of next year, they'll be right back to where they were in 2012-2013. And the other theory advanced in the same piece, without any sense of irony, is that you blow up the entire squad. You literally change out the entire squad. Well, as soon as the Nuggets figure out which path they're going to take, uh, I'm sure there are a whole heck of a lot of people who would love to know. Well, I mean, Les, you were, you know, you've been But right now it looks like a multiple choice question. Yeah, it does, and because you've been saying this, Les. I mean, it's... I said said on on Stiffs, I can't really judge Tim Connolly until he goes through this offseason. He was... Given a, he came in really late. I mean, really late. He wasn't hired till June, late June, right? I was, I'm looking at Andy, and Andy's shrugging his shoulders. I mean, I, I, it, it was it. Uh, oh yeah, and he was hired so late. It was just before the draft. Just, just before, before, right the before the draft. Right before the draft. And he was hired so late. They all the scouting that they were behind on. Um, they did lose scouts too. They? they lost scouts. They the lost several they lost scouts. The, they oh, lost their assistant that. general manager. They right. lost, yeah, the assistant general manager. Pete Delessandro, yeah. who 
from, from all intents and purposes, the Nuggets sounded like they really wanted to sign signs with the Kings. So obviously, either the Kings backed a dump truck full of money up to his door, like they did with uh, Masai, Masai, or they just you know, or they were just, slow uh, to move, and Delisandro didn't want to wait any longer. Yep, and. I'm glad. I'm glad there's not a video camera. Um, anyway, so so you got all that going on. He he was at a def- there's a deficiency that I think we all have to acknowledge because he came in late. This off season, I think, is going to be the critical one out of all. I mean, even last off season, this one here because right now we're well. You know why? But you know why, Jeff? Yeah. The draft will tell all. That's true. If they get a top anywhere one to five pick, that kid could be the centerpiece of your team going forward. Yeah. And if, and if they have, don't, then you won't have a transformative impact for two, three years. Maybe not. But that will also tell could you be. where you need to go with the rest of that roster. That's true. It could lead to rebuilding, a complete rebuilding, right. too. I mean, we're talking, we're talking, I mean, I don't, I. I hate the concept of rebuilding because throughout the '90s, the Nuggets tried to rebuild, and each each time it got more painful. And I, I so I've got like PTSD. Well, we, we've <laughs> heard this song before. <laughs> yeah, we, we, in the mid '90s, we heard this song for several years. Les was here; he's well aware of it. We'll build through the draft. That was the Bernie Bickerstaff mantra. Uh, Alan Bristow, Dan Essel. Uh, yeah, they drafted so shitty. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't <laughs> can't build a dra- that was draft it. if you draft uh, they shitty. The, they were the, you know? uh, yeah. Understood. I mean, uh, Bickerstaff drafted well initially. First except, couple, except, yeah, for, except, for, except for Mark Macon. Mark Macon was not great. Yeah, then Mark Macon was weird. But, but, but Fonz was fine. Dikembe was fine. Stip was fine. Yeah. And then, yeah. then Fonz gets hurt. Matumbo gets let go. Well, yeah, that, that, that was, you know, I mean, in fairness to Bickerstaff, and it pains me. To be fair to Bernie Beckerstaff, because Bernie Beckerstaff wasn't very fair to many of us who covered him during that time. But the Fonz injury hurt, triggered yeah. all the other bad stuff. Kind of like Gallinari, huh? Although they did make they did make <laughs> a mistake. They did make <laughs> they a mistake in Matumbo. <laughs> yeah, well, they got the Letting Matumbo thing. Was, yeah, yeah, the Matumbo yeah. thing was yeah. I, egregious. What organization does yeah. something like that? That was, that was terrible. But you know, Nate, well, well, Nate, you, you brought up the Gallinari thing, changing everything um, because of simply the possibility they would have won the first round. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, that makes you, a lot of sense. But it's crazy to think that, that, that poison the atmosphere. Yeah, but I mean, the Warriors too. We can't discount the fact that you know Draymond Green, who shot twenty percent from three point land during the year, shot sixty percent in that series. And I mean, we also can't discount the the idea that Wilson Chandler. And Corey Brewer went the other disappeared. way. They disappeared. And apart yeah. from Lawson, and even with all the stuff we seem to know now about Iguodala, Iguodala had a pretty solid series if you oh, just yeah. are looking at oh, the yeah. basketball yeah, stuff. Yeah. But I also think that the Iguodala... But everybody else played badly. Yeah. And some of Iguodala leaving, I think, had to do with Gallinari getting injured. I mean, he, he's a Oh, he looked he's around and he and, said, oh, yeah. why wouldn't I go to Golden State? Yeah. These guys are ready now. I the Nuggets get to another yeah, the, year, too. The, one of the largest things that appealed to Iguodala about Golden State was Mark Jackson and his very religious stances, even though, you know, he had an affair, whatever. Are you saying a religious person was hypocritical? Is that what you're saying? I know it's unusual. <laughs> it's real, highly unusual. 
hypocrisy and religion. <laughs> but this was that was that was one of those things that appealed to him that the Nuggets didn't have. Plus, you had Kenneth Fareed, who is an outspoken support of athlete ally, which supports you know, his parents are, are LGBT, lesbians, yeah. and that sort of thing. I, you could tell Andrea Iguodala was very uncomfortable with. There's a lot of those things that go into it. But Iguodala was an odd bird. He was strange. In a lot of ways, Jeff. Yes, he was very a strange. A lot of ways. And uh, a very insecure man who thought he should be paid more than anybody else on the team, wanted to play point guard. Wanted credit all the wanted, time. Wanted all the time. Constantly hey, I, I, about this, credit. I, very quickly. I, and allow me to digress for one no, second. No, that's fine. Um, I can remember going into the locker room. And uh, they had, a, they had a, a period for a couple of weeks where they were defending really well on the perimeter. And opponents' three-point percentages were coming down. Yeah. And I went to Iguodala, and I said, why do you think this is happening? How have you guys gotten better defensively on the perimeter? And he said, it's all me. And I said, no, really, what do you think? He said, no, it's all me. <laughs> in, he, in fairness, he, he yeah. wanted if I may speak up in defense... Yeah. Of Andre Iguodala, our friend Matt Moore, yeah, CBS spent Sports. a lot of time with Iguodala last year, and what he got out of him was as sophisticated an analysis of both individual and team defensive concepts as I've ever heard from an NBA player. Andre was a smart guy. Is a smart guy. Yeah, Matt had an article where he actually took video plays, showed them Iguodala, and Iguodala explained his thinking during the. It was remarkable. It was, it was, cool. it was, it was, it was his good. educational piece on defense coming from a nugget. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. Not name a well, I, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Iguodala constantly whined about credit last year. Oh, yeah. Constantly whined about it. And I was hearing things, because I know a lot of agents around the league, I was hearing things about him just complaining about not getting enough credit for where the nuggets were that year. It, it was bizarre because they're having a fantastic, well, yeah. the team was having a fantastic year. Right. It wasn't necessarily a great year for Iguodala. It was a great year, team, team year. He was high maintenance, Jeff. And it, and it just seemed very like he was, he, did, he was like very, yeah, you're, you're very right, Les. And I think, I think Matt Moore's piece, which was brilliant. You were absolutely right, Sandy. It was a very brilliant piece. I think even Matt would tell you now, I mean, I can't speak for him, Matt would tell you now, he felt a little misled by Andre because he thought likely thought Dre was going to sign here and I think might have if Masai stayed could be he might have could be I mean the damage was done in that playoff series when you remember uh, Joe Lakeup said that Andre's cousin came to him said Andre likes your organization and Lakeup for some reason went on the record with saying this and I could see the people, this PR people, saying, "No, no, you know, shut up, Joe." But he went on, and then he clarified further, and he said that he came back. That his cousin came back the next day to reiterate how serious he was about it, and and that tells me right there that there was some schism or some decision made prior to that pay- playoff series where Andre Iguodala was. He decided he was leaving. He decided he was leaving, and and that's that's. And maybe that's why many of us believe he was the guy the mole. who went up to Mark Jackson <laughs> as the mole during that series. Although I don't ever trust Mark Jackson's version True. of events. 
God, I I do not. And like all Mark that Jackson. either. Yeah, Mark Jackson. Got, I got a question. Uh, and I mean the whole the whole business about dirty play. I, I agreed with George. I've watched a lot of NBA playoff series down through the years. That was probably the least physical yeah. series I've it ever watched. My, it, was it was wonderfully entertaining basketball. Yeah, but it was overblown. And the tension and the nonsense yeah. that we've already identified actually added, if you weren't rooting for one team, particularly the Nuggets, it added to the entertainment value of the series. Would but have been nice to say hear. that there was even a smidgen of physical play, much less dirty play, was an out-and-out misrepresentation Absolutely. made only by people with an agenda or people who know nothing about basketball. <laughs> and there's a lot of those that was physical <laughs> compared to NBA Finals in the 80s, oh, yeah. Bulls, hey, Pistons in three, the 80s. Three, four years ago, Celtics-Lakers, it looked like a football game out there. Oh, that's right. I finals. remember that. Yeah, that's right. With Perkins <laughs> that's and, recently. Yeah, yeah, that's recently. Yeah. Uh, and that wasn't half as physical as Celtics-Lakers Finals in the 80s. No, oh, yeah. Remember, uh, what was it, McHale? Uh, close and lining Rambus in, yeah. in, the, in that series. I mean, 87 series, which is a great series. So you guys think, let, let's pretend that, that George Carl is still coaching this team. Are the Nuggets still on the outside looking in on the The playoffs? Nuggets are exactly where they were three years ago prior to the Carmelo trade. They're about 31 and 25. I think they were 32 and 25 three years ago at the time of the Carmelo trade. Uh, George Carl is, relatively speaking, unhappy not about injuries, as some moronic columnist suggested a couple of Sundays back. Can we guess but names? he's unhappy about you know just the uncertainty and the changes around the team. And the Gallinari thing, I think, would have frustrated him a, a little bit. But you know, the, the record would be better. Yeah, so you could reverse the record from where it is now. Well, yeah. they'd be playing, yeah, but they faster, but yeah. but they wouldn't. They wouldn't necessarily be a playoff. I, I don't know if it's a fair question because of the injuries. Um, yeah. If George is here, is Masai gone? If George is here, is JaVale McGee playing more or playing less? It, it, it's a hard thing to project. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't blame Brian Shaw for what's going on right but, now. Yeah, and that's kind of to say, you know, are people maybe being too hard on Brian Shaw with the record of the team? I mean, I looked a couple weeks ago, and he was out of the thirteen new coaches, he was I think fifth in wins of the new guys. So I mean, we're used to. But he didn't. But he didn't hear it about thirteen coaches were changed out. Yeah. Thirteen. That's forty percent of the league. Some were fired. And some left of their own volition. Thirteen new coaches. Like, that's thirteen. A, that, that's and, and that's amazing. why we've had so few firings. In season. Sounds like the radio year. business. <laughs> a, lot a lot of changes. Of changes. <laughs> you forecasting? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll be coaching an NBA team next year. <laughs> so what, what do you guys make, though, of, of Brian Shaw's start so far? I mean, to me, it's been it's been very difficult to see what kind of style he wants. We've even heard from players that you know he's led up on the reins of calling plays when they, you know, after they lost eight games. You had Kenneth Freed and Ty Lawson saying when they won seven. Well, we're not running plays anymore, and it's you know he's letting us be us and you know kind of do us again, and you know, are we seeing what Brian Shaw actually wants to do, or is he just trying I, I, to? I, nah. just, I, I, I let Les and, and, and you two comment because you, you've been around it probably a little more than I. I, I. I just go back to something Doug Moe used to say uh, when he was here during the 1980s, and I, I think George felt the same way. If in practice you don't run, I don't care what you want to do in the games. You're not going to run in the games if you don't run in practice. So you can say, uh, and I, I see saw uh, Shaw gesturing during a game, even the one last night at certain junctures of the game, 
when uh, the Nuggets, who had a, at least for t- two quarters, reasonably good defensive game, run, run, run. Hey, if you don't practice doing it, you're not going to do it in the game. And they have, they've they practiced a lot of this season with an 18-second shot clock. Like, they don't use a 24, right? Is it 18? 18, no, well, in camp it was 16. Even less than that, yeah. yeah, yeah 16, 16, 18. Yeah. So they're trying to, you know, that tells me that they're trying to, you know, get guys to make quick decisions, don't, you know, end up at the end where you're having to throw the ball to a guy for a, you know, rush Look, shot I, or something. I don't, I don't, as I said, I don't blame Brian Shaw for a lot of what's going on. The injuries, of course, have taken their toll. He's missing four of his top, what, six or seven players. Nate Robb, Gallinari, McGee, and now, and now Ty Lawson. Uh, three-fifths of his starting lineup for a significant period of time. Um, I don't know what Brian Shaw is going to be. Uh, here's the problem I have with Brian Shaw so far. He wants to implement a new system. The roster isn't conducive to that system. There are going to have to be some changes. So he decided, okay, I'm a coach. I want to win now. I'll let them run a little bit more. I'll let them do a lot of what they were doing last year. We'll put a few W's on the board, and we'll slowly transition to that half-court offense, better at half-court offense, better at half-court defense team. There's something that's not clicking here, though. Either he's not communicating it well to his players, or his players aren't listening to what he's saying. I don't know which one it is. It might be both. It might be both. I think it's both. And, yeah. and, and here's the deal. But I'm, but I'm not going to be so quick to judge because I, I don't – he doesn't have the players he's supposed he to have. he came in with a reputation of being a player's coach. And, and it doesn't seem that way right he's now. He's blasting the players. The players don't seem to have much use for him. His player relations skills have been awful. True. And he also comes in with a reputation as a defensive-minded coach – the Nuggets are 20th in the league in points per 100 possessions. Bad defensive team. A bad defensive yeah. team. Bad, terrible and defensive the team. gap between pace and point scoring, fourth in pace, 16th in points per 100 possessions. That's got to be, I haven't checked this out, I may be wrong. That's got to be the largest gap of inefficiency <laughs> in the entire NBA. It doesn't jive. This, this, this team. Be close. <laughs> My biggest issue has so far has been the schizophrenic nature of the way they've exactly. been running the day. And you, both of you have, uh, I think, excellently pointed that out because it is one, because you can watch it just watching the games. You really did want to slow it down at the beginning of the year. They started out one and four. And that's how they practiced. Yeah, that's how they practiced. And, and they wanted to just like make quick decisions but play at a slower pace. Yes. And it just. Didn't wasn't working. Javale McGee goes out. Feed they, the post. Yeah, Javale McGee goes out. They start winning a little, right? And because Ty, they're open, but, they're forced to open up. They're yeah, playing they smaller lineups. But, yeah. but Ty Lawson, yeah. the guy who had the ball in his hands, still didn't really know what Brian Shaw wanted. Yeah, that's true. It was yeah. very confusing to a lot of players. It was it was an interesting and not conducive evolution. to a lot of their games, including yeah. Ty Lawson's game and Kenneth Fareed's game. Well, now two I'll, key players, I'll and let, even you can say Wilson Chandler too. I mean, he's a guy that's played at Mike D'Antoni, George Carl. Is the player who has missed George Carl the most? I, I don't know if he acknowledges you don't think that. You don't think it's Fareed? No. No. I, so I why, do you, Chandler, why do you say Chandler that? Was, Chandler's a better player, and over the last few weeks, certainly, especially since the injury to Lawson. Chandler, rather than stepping up, his second-best player on the team, you would have thought, prior to the Lawson injury, Lawson gets hurt, he's your best player. He's receded more rapidly over well, the last few weeks than anybody else. You know what that tells me? He's a better player than it, free. It you tells me that Wilson Chandler isn't good enough to take on that burden. That Wilson Chandler is really, at best, 
a third or fourth best player exactly. on a good team. Yeah, that's very true. And, and when you make him a first or second, so the yeah. way it Carl work. and his staff coached him, and also the way he was utilized last year, is the way he should be. utilized. I tell you what, the best the way the best way Wilson Chandler was utilized last year was in concert with Gallo, Daniel Gallinari. They played extremely well together in that system. Okay, so that's the way George used him. He, play, he would bring in Chandler off the bench. Came Gallo, off the bench to score yeah, and, and then right. finish games. And he would end. let Gallo be the playmaker and yes. let, let Wilson Chandler do that. Yeah. And that way it worked well. Well, right now, the, really, the Nuggets have no playmakers on this team. No. There's no playmaker Kind of like the Broncos' defense. Yes. <laughs> no playmaker. <laughs> and so it's, it's but I'll let, I'll let Nate fill on in this because, you know, Nate, Nate uh, is pretty close to, to Will. What do you think has been his greatest issue since the break because he really has not connected. I don't think he's not, he's not played very well. I think a lot of guys, I mean, you see it with Randy Foy, you see it with Chandler, a lot of those guys thrive in catch-and-shoot offenses where you have yeah. you know, Ty Lawson, you had Gallinari who were able to, you know, even Iguodala would drive and find these guys just for catch-and-shoot opportunities. Drive and, and kick out, drive and kick. Yeah, yeah the yeah. drive and kick, and, you know, he's great at that. He's, he's really good in up-tempo offenses, but yes. I, I do start to wonder with – you know, with Brian Shaw constantly trashing guys, and I just saw Vic Lombardi's going to run an interview with Brian Shaw, and he's, you know, he tweeted out a little segment where he said, "I think I have three kids at home and fifteen here." You know, and it's like fifteen. I mean, Darrell Arthur is on a great Memphis team. You know, Chandler Lawson were part of a fifty-seven win team. You know, Ken the Fareed, like these guys aren't. Randy Foy's a, a mature veteran. Randy Foy. I mean, these guys aren't. You know. Dealing they, they players are that are knuckleheads the, either. Not, I, I, well, but what do you think is giving? What do you think is giving Brian Shaw the guts, the bravery to say these things? Well, I, Don't you think that he's getting together with Tim Conley and, Con- and, and the two of them have decided, you know what, a lot of these guys aren't going to be here for very long. So what's the difference if we trash them or not? That could be a possibility. I mean, I've, I've, I've wondered about that. I, I really have, would have no way of knowing. I, I've, never heard, I, I've never yeah. heard a coach speak of players in 35 years here in this manner. For public consumption. Yeah. I, I mean, he's some yeah. in private of hinted at feelings oh, they, such as these. Yeah, they'll but say for private, public yeah. consumption, never. Very critical and never. doesn't couch it. You know, George would be critical, but he would couch it. Yeah. Um, he was honest, but he would couch yeah, it. Yeah, Shanahan yeah. W- w- would be critical, but he would couch it. Shaw comes right out and says it. And, and I can't imagine it sits well, it sits well with the players. I remember early in the season I asked Brian Shaw. It was, it was all this kind of negativity coming about, I think even before the season started, about the offense being slow and not scoring points and it was all this negative. Ne- so I came in one day and I said, well, what are you liking about this team? You know, we've heard a lot of the negative, but what are some of the positives? What's going right for you? And I got about, you know, 10 seconds of that, and then he went right back into negative stuff. So it was like, man, it's, it's you know, he seemed I, like I a glass half full guy. somewhat spoiled in the sense that for the most part he played with teams that and coached with teams. were professional, yeah. were mature, coached with teams always that projected that way. And I think now as a head coach, dealing with all of the fallout from the other changes that we referred to earlier on, he has not reacted well. No. We said before I, I this, think he's learning how to be a head coach still. Yeah. That's a good and point. Under very, a good point. And under yeah. very trying circumstances. But I think yeah. you see, and I give him credit for acknowledging how many times he was in fact passed over for head coaching jobs 11 times. I think you see why at least some of those 11 interviews 
didn't go well. Didn't go that well. Also, I, will, I will tell you this, Nate. And I it was went, more than just people being skeptical of his association with a triangle offense. Mm-hmm. I think people were skeptical about his ability to react as a head coach in a less than ideal circumstance. Nate, you asked him a question about um, good cop, bad cop, didn't you, a couple days ago? I did, yeah. Well, I just I asked him if you know he's gone from being an assistant coach where you're kind of the good cop all the time to the head coach where you know have you had to be the bad cop a lot more and he said no my assistants are the bad cops i'm the guy that's constantly encouraging and constantly preaching positivity it usually works Whoa. the other way around you both all three of us have the same reaction every sport yeah if he thinks he's a good cop what does he honestly believe a bad cop as a head coach yeah. would look like? <laughs> but, and we talk, He's the good cop. We talk a lot on our podcast about with the Nuggets' leadership. And, you know, we talked before the season, who's going to be the leader? And, you know, I was kind of afraid, and I said, I think it might be Nate Robinson because he's got, out oh of the guys God. on the roster, he's got the biggest personality. And, you know what, and guys were right. You're asking and guys are going to gravitate towards him. Well, let me tell you something. You were right. Guys gravitate to him. If Nate Robinson is the leader in the locker room or on the court, I mean, you might as You're well better go off without. You one. might you might as well go and get Richie Incognito. Seriously, I mean, but if this guy is on your leadership uh, council, if this guy is one of the leaders in the locker room, you got big problems. <laughs> and that's, you, you have a lack of leadership, is what you have. And that's something that I think that you know Tim Conley is going to be tasked with in this draft. I don't know how you find a guy that you know that's going to be the next Kobe or Kevin Garnett, where maybe not talent wise, but mentality where. You know, they get a taste of success and they become the dominant force in the locker room. That's really what the Nuggets are missing. Someone that's going to stick up for Brian Shaw in the locker room and be kind of his coach. You know, I mean, you saw Chauncey Billups maybe did that a little bit with George. Oh, yeah. he, did, he did that oh, a lot. Definitely. definitely. Chauncey, the, the acquisition of Chauncey, Chauncey Billups. Chauncey became disenchanted with yeah. the knucklehead factor, too. Yeah. But yes, he was that presence Cha- for George. Yeah, Chauncey turned around the attitude of that team. George, George yelled the same things at that team. That Chauncey did, but they didn't listen to George. They listened to Chauncey when he started saying it when he came here. That's why they went to the conference championship. Right. And, and in basketball, you need leadership. that guy. And in basketball, you you need that guy. You need the guy on the team that's going to be the translator for the coach. You know, you need you need a lot the guy. Of times, that, yeah. Yeah. You got to have the guy that or the, the guy coach. that's going to tell the guy yeah. goofing off in practice. Hey, pay attention. You know, we're exactly. trying to trying to win basketball games. Exactly. And and that's that's just not. You know, at this team, you just don't see it. You, I do, personally, I just do not see that guy outside of the, the aforementioned Nate Robinson, who has that personality, the voice. Outside of maybe maybe Gallo, I think had that personality, but he, you know, he's injured, so you yeah, can't. Count there's him. a reason Nate Robinson has been on six teams in nine yeah, years. Yes. And and I think I think when that's your biggest voice. You do have issues, and it also has to be a guy that's respected by the players, right? Like Randy Foy's, you know, he's a guy that's you know has leadership qualities, yeah. but you know he's not the best player on the team, and he's not this guy that can take you where you need to go. So you're lacking that leader plus the leader that's talented. Yeah, like R- that's, Randy's become that go-to guy in the locker room for a lot of people, including the media. Yeah, yeah Everybody we, waits for Randy Foy to sit down on his stool yeah. and address the media. We talk Being, to him most every game. Right. You know? But, again, you, as you said, he's having a very up-and-down season. Um, statistically, he's not one of the leaders on this team. Um, he's had his own problems. Look, this team is a mess right now. It's, yes, a, mess it on, it's a mess on a number of levels. Yep. Um, but a lot can be, a lot can be resolved. With a high draft pick right. and a good player, <laughs> and you're I mean, right you know, though, Les, a, a transforming player. Yeah, a trans. But the problem is, 
I talked to a couple of uh, people who I know who are scouts, and they were saying they just didn't see a transformative player in this draft. The problem is... Wait, is wait. Anywhere in the draft? Anywhere. Or where the Nuggets might be picking? Because Jabari Parker, he's going to be a transformative yeah, player. You know, I, he, okay, let me ask you. What, what have you seen so far? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how much college you watch. How much... How, what have you seen so far that you want, you think, okay, this guy would work perfectly on the Nuggets? Is it Parker? Well, it, or is it, it, but, but it depends, Jeff. I don't know what the Nuggets are, and I don't know what they're going to be. Are, are they going to run? I don't know. I would hope they continue to have that as a big part of their, to use a football term, their playbook. Yeah. You've got to take advantage of the altitude. Yep. It, it's, it's the most unique advantage any team in this in the pros has. Oh, absolutely. The altitude. Yep. No other team plays at altitude. I think the next highest altitude is maybe Atlanta or Phoenix, about 1,000 feet above sea level, and that doesn't make a difference, really. Yeah, absolutely. Does it feel uh, like Josh Kroenke wants to get rid of that notion, though, or test well, that notion with I, I think what, what the they way need he's to do, going? Th- th- what they want to do is they want to cut back. They, they want to cut it back. They don't want that to be their identity because once you do get to the playoffs, as we all know by now, you better be a physical team, especially interior defensively. All right? And you better be able to have a guy that you can go to at crunch time that you know more often than not is going to get you the tough basket. The Nuggets don't have any of that right now. Now, they're hoping Danilo Gallinari and Ty Lawson become those players on the offensive end. They hope JaVale McGee becomes that player on the defensive end. Yeah. But right now, that's not there. No, it's not. Isn't that the hardest thing to find in the draft, do you think, is, is the guy that has the mentality that's... You know how do you how do you spot that kind of mentality in a guy like that? To me, that's going to be Tim Conley's biggest job. It's is hard trying to spot Real that hard. guy. It is so and hard to find it. The men and it's it's the mental part in the draft that is the biggest issue. I was I listened to the tail end of your show, and in the beginning of Scott and Drew's show today, and they were talking about what we're talking about right now the the draft, and and Scott said the same thing. It's like there's you know we've you talk to people around and they says like there's no transformative quote-unquote players in the draft but you won't know until they're playing for you and it's like it's like maybe that guy has that drive that personality that 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 aggressive thing that the hornets what i've seen in watching kansas this year wiggins i think has the most complete game offensively and defensively there's some holes but particularly on defense he has shown an increasing willingness and even a talent at that end of the floor that surprised me a little bit the temperament i'm not entirely sure he's he's an 18 19 year old kid let me ask you something bingo 1983 did we know Right. If we knew that Michael Jordan was going to be, yeah. wouldn't Michael Jordan have been the first or second that, pick of the draft? I, I think you knew about he, the fire. Well, you know what? You knew, I think you knew about, you knew the, about fire. the talent. The talent. You knew he was competitive. Yeah. You didn't know he was uber competitive. You didn't know that he was going to be the guy that took guys by the shirt collar in the locker room and said, get no, your that wasn't together. The, that wasn't the you collective didn't. temperament at North Carolina. And, no. and, and, and look at this thing, though, guys. have guys. Right. So you, like, my point is, you didn't know. But, yeah. You don't know until they get there. And then it took Jordan six years. It took Jordan six years to really develop the best kind of fire, and that's that's when Phil Jackson came in. Yeah. Okay. Because and channeled it and channeled I, it. I mean, Collins, Doug drove, Collins, could, Collins yeah. drove him nuts. Oh yeah, Collins drove him. No. That's and, then, be... and then he hired him for when he was an, an executive at, in Washington. 
he hired Doug Collins. I'm like, I thought you hated Doug Collins. Well, anyway. well that's um, that's the next step too. I, I looked at I wrote an article where I, I looked at the last ten drafts or eleven drafts. And the top three players, the only guy to win a championship with the team that drafted him was Darko Milicic. <laughs> so I mean, you, that's scary. Not only do you have to draft well, but you have to keep that guy in your city, okay. and you have to build around him. Like okay. one guy is not LeBron James didn't yeah. just take. Cle- I guess he could have. I mean, he went to the finals with Cleveland, but he did. But I mean, no, that, but he didn't make the playoffs in Cleveland his first two years. Right. Carmelo and the Nuggets made the playoffs and in O three O four and in O four O five. I'll tell you this, guys. That draft, the 2003 draft, is a shining beacon of example of how luck plays into it far more than people know. I know Cons- where you're going. Considering how much Kiki Vandaway wanted, wanted Darko, Darko Milicic. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's thing, I mean, people got to think. If Detroit hadn't drafted him, the Nuggets would have. People think got to get on their, he was on going their to Detroit. Knees. Yeah, people got to get on their knees and thank Joe Dumars to this day. Because, you know, listen, regardless of what you think of Carmelo Anthony, regardless, okay? Oh, that's the back in the day when yeah. Joe Dumars was regarded as a smart GM. That's that right. That is the case no longer. Jeff oh. will also defend Carmelo to no end, so I, we're going really? <laughs> That's a whole other show, Joe. <laughs> we, will, we will discuss that later. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that draft... How are the Knicks doing with Carmelo? By yeah, just wondering. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't looked at the standings. Hey, hey, hey Melo's played. How's good that working off? Melo's played great really great. well this year. I, I have to say he's, he's played well this year. But I, I will say this: that draft shows you what a crapshoot it is. Yeah. No one. I mean, the off. Charlotte Hornets wouldn't have flipped Kobe Bryant for Vlade Divac had they known he was Kobe Bryant. Right? Exactly. I mean, same thing with the Rockets exactly. and Jordan. And Would Bernie Biggerstaff have traded uh, from where the where were the Nuggets in '96? Thirteen. 10. Would he, would he have traded from 10 to get Mark Jackson and the corpse of Ricky Pierce onto the team? To, and, and what was it, 26th pick, 23rd pick? 23rd. <laughs> I'm looking at Andy again. 23rd pick. For, and, and you remember who he drafted that year, right? Ephemios Rentius. Yes. The guy, guy he had never, never seen, seen in person. Yeah. Yeah. So, but would, and Bernie, would Bernie only by about six inches. Would right? Bernie have known, known because that was the draft with Kobe, that was the draft with Steve Nash, Page Stoyakovich. Page Stoyakovich. That was the Nuggets version of Ted Gregory. Oh, it was worse. Yeah, even worse. Oh, that was the worst. <laughs> I mean, I remember saying, like, when are we going to get to see this draft pick, Ephemios Rentius, who's a, supposedly a center? Who's not a center? He was six foot seven. And, and Andrew Feinstein, the, who's sitting at the table with us, is the only person to have seen him. He really is the only person to have seen him. I know that Alan Bristow saw him when he went on an overseas trip to look at um, Scott Skiles as a head coach, and he happened to catch oh, Renzias, right. and then he trashed him to the media. And <laughs> I think his Renzias agent, Keith Glass, wrote about it and said, you know, that, that ruined his trade value. So he was <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bristow. Bristow was only in there with, for what? Ten months as a GM. Yeah. Yeah. It, was a, it was a really brief reign. He, he, he drafted Tony Petit. That's the only thing I remember about Alan Bristow. Um, but so any- the Nuggets are going to be okay. Is that where we've all come to the conclusion? No, I don't so, think that's what know. we're saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me after the draft. Okay. Well, I have a better idea. Yeah, there's some good ones in that draft. So you guys want to talk a little Broncos? Wait, before we, before we do that. Before we do that. Nuggets are going to celebrate the 1994 yes. team this year. March 17th. March 17th against the Clippers. Uh, it's an 8.30 game. It's a national television. Um, 
I've spoken to Les about this, and I've spoken to you, uh, to Sandy about this. You both were quoted in my article that I wrote some subsequent. I traveled with that team. And the, Les traveled and with the that playoffs. team. Yeah. And I talked to Dan. Uh, I, I, I asked, had Marlo ask a question when Dan was on the broadcast a couple weeks ago. And I had to ask him, what is his memories? And, and Dan lit up. That's the most I've seen him light up in, well, 20 years. It was like this is like the most fun I've ever had, next to winning the ABA championship and like with the Kentucky Colonels, I believe he did. And I thought about it, and I thought for my own personal experience, let's forget about the in and out and inside pool that we know about about the Nuggets. I thought that was one of the more amazing moments of me as a fan watching that that team. And I don't think I've ever felt anything quite. A, anything like that experience just as a fan looking at it that I've that I don't think it's been really for me captured since one of the great unknowns in Denver sports is what would have happened with that team had Fonz not gotten hurt yeah. uh, Dan lost the power struggle subsequently with Bickerstaff and resigned a few months later um, his second term here was, was no fun whatsoever disastrous. at any point. Uh, totally disastrous in almost every respect as far as Dan was concerned. But if you go back and look at the clips, particularly of that Nugget Seattle series, you saw, even during the course of the first two games, but certainly in each of the last three, how much fun yeah. everybody was having, fun. including the head coach. So when you guys said you, you, you traveled with the team, were you actually on like team plane still? Is no. still then? Or is Sandy and I both that, cover the team as as radio and TV people. Right. Um, my TV station, Channel Four at the time, sent me everywhere they went in the playoffs. So the whole Seattle series, I was with them. You know, and then the whole Utah series. The Utah series, series I was, with them was as well. almost as remarkable as the yeah. Seattle series. I went to seven because games. they won three games yeah. in a row. That. Time too, you know, except it was a best of seven and three in a row only. Time to me, that and is the final the, game was played in Utah. Right. Plan, and to me, that was the great. That's the one of the great series in NBA history that's almost completely forgotten because the Nuggets lost. Here's it. here's my theory: if they had somehow won the seventh game, and I don't know that they were all they that close to yeah. winning the seventh game, had they won, they had matched up very well against both the Houston Rockets and the New York Knickerbockers head to head during the season. I think they at least could have done what the Rockies did in 07 because that, those are the two seasons that, to me, are linked That's up. very similar, uh, yeah. Very yeah. similar in late-season magic, postseason magic. Yeah, they were, media, the they were a mediocre team during the season. Two mediocre yeah. teams. They were 42 the and the 40. Right. Yeah. And, and the Rockies were 76 and 72 with right. two weeks to go in 2007. But they found that magic. And had they been able to somehow beat Utah... I think they would have been world champions in 1994. Really? No. No. That was the Jordanless year. Yeah, Houston yep. won it. The only yeah. full Jordanless year, right? Because he came back at the end the yeah, following midway year. midway through the next year. The full year. Jordanless yeah. year the was a White weak Bronco. year, a very weak year in the NBA. That would have been a year where a 42-team, 42-win uh, team could have not only snuck into the finals, but given a matchup against uh, uh, the next Matumbo and Ewing, I'm not sure it would have been a matchup that favored Ewing necessarily at that point. Matumbo was on such a roll. I think the Nuggets could have been champions. Well, you know, Les, I, one of the most remarkable things about that is the feeling, I guess, and maybe you could capture this in working in television at the time, 
the, the, the feeling around town, I remember being like everyone was just swept up in this euphoria, kind of like Rocktober. I mean, that yes. really is the best way to describe it. It was yes. kind of like Rocktober. And, and well, people, people uh, were not on board all season long. As yeah. you said, they were a mediocre team. They, yeah, they were 42 were. and 40. Yeah. But, you know, once they jumped on the bandwagon, they jumped on with both feet. And it was a lot of fun. Oh, you had no way at the I mean, arena firing up the crowd. Oh, yeah. That's the beauty of sports. It, 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 when things are going well, it brings a community together. Yeah. And the whole community was behind them at the time. Oh, I remember leaving yeah. a Rockies game during Game 7. We ran over to McNichols where they were showing the game on the Jumbotron there so we could watch the game yeah. there. Me and my dad skipped. I think the Rockies were getting killed by the Braves or something. So we ran over to McNichols and watched the seventh game against Utah well, on the screen. Also remember, it wasn't just an upset. It was the greatest upset in NBA history at that time. Eight beating yeah. the one. First time an eighth seed beat a number one. And, and, and that was a really good Seattle team. And it was yeah. pre-expansion in the mid-'90s. This way, they'd already expanded once, but this is before they added the Canadian teams and, and the Bobcats and all that but stuff. But you know what? what at the moment I remember in that series was uh, – Game three back here was an easy win for the Nuggets. Blowout oh, game. Game four, uh, last 45 seconds of the game, and Seattle's up, I think, two, two or three. three. Kemp goes to the line and bricks two free throws. It makes either one of them the game's over. Yep. The series is over, three games to one. That's the kind of magic that was there. Yep. Uh, it, it, back then, I remember watching it and thinking, he's going to miss. He's he's gonna miss. Uh, it, it just had that fit. Just with with the Rockies in 07, No matter what move they made, you knew it would work. Yep. And no matter what counter move was made by the opposition, at least until the World Series with Boston, you knew it wouldn't work. And you knew how badly Matt Holiday actually missed the plate on that slide. <laughs> they were going to call him safe. He still ha- he got the plate. <laughs> well, I got I to tell you, but he deserved to be safe. He, he, he never came close Let to home plate, but he deserved to you be safe. That's one of my greatest memories. I was sitting next to you in the press box. Yes. Sitting next to you during that, yes. that play-in game against San Diego and Fires. We and we were both just laughing. And we were yeah, looking yeah, yeah, at yeah. the stadium, and the stadium was actually, Coors yes. Field, was actually bouncing wow. yeah. from the people in the stands <laughs> jumping up and down. I was, doing, I was holding my buddy in the, in the stadium. Stadium, jump up and down. Yeah. I, I, I was, you know, at, at McNichols Arena, I will tell you this. Pepsi Center doesn't have the same vibe to it. It's not as loud. and Much like Sports Authority Field doesn't feel or yeah. sound the same as, no. as yeah, no. Mile High. Big Mac was loud when it got oh, yeah. rocking. I mean, it was Much more intimate. Much more intimate. And, and, and then I always loved McNichols. I, that was a great building. Um, you know, I, I, and... and this is before Les's time, certainly before mine here here in Denver. But uh, uh, the first three years after the merger, <laughs> oh, the old auditorium was, was a loud place too. But the, uh, you know, I can still see Carl Shear leaning on the railing, the paint peeling off on his shirts, and, and the intensity <laughs> in the crowd in those early NBA years. Nineteen ninety four in the playoffs was like that. Oh man, I'd it was that. like the NBA. Uh, with the Nuggets in the fir- first couple of years in the NBA, leading the league in attendance. and uh, What was that team kind of like behind the scenes since you guys were in the locker rooms and covering that team? You got any enormously likable. Uh, just enormously. And, and Les may, uh, may have some particular uh, recollections, but uh, 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 the, the line, and I use this with, with, with Jeff, that, that sort of summarized that team. And it wasn't uttered that year. It actually was... Uh, uh, was the first year, I think, with uh, Dan and Lafonso Ellis as, yeah, as their top yeah, draft yeah. pick. 
and uh, they're coming off the two disastrous Westhead years. Oh God! And uh, Dan's, you know, trying to change the culture and feel about the team, and he recognizes Ellis as the vehicle to get that change made right away. And it's early in training camp one day, and uh, it's it's. I think during the course of a practice session, in any case, Dan comes up to Lafonso and he says, Fonz, listen, you're going to play this year 35 to 40 minutes a game, whether you're real good or real bad. Fonz, it'll be a lot better for both of us if you're real good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it was that kind that's a great I mean, that was it kind of humor <laughs> and perspective and the, the kind of feeling around the team. We'd been missing for a few years yeah. at that point. Yeah. That was and, before Dan became jaded. Yes. Um, and, and, and Dan that was, was very Dan at his best. Remember, Dan, that came, was out Dan, of, out Dan came out of the broadcast booth. Yep. So there was a kinship yeah. with all of us. Yeah. He was warm. He was funny. You know, Dan had his faults. Um, but at that point, when things were going good, especially, Dan was great to be around. And, and Sandy, you hit on the one guy that made that team more fun than anybody, and that's LaFonso oh, Ellis. And we talked about warm that Seattle and had a great series. sense of humor, oh, man. smart, could converse with you on things other than basketball. Everybody remembers Matumbo in that series. I thought the key guy in so many of the key moments for them was Fonz, yeah. who... Now, I know Sean Kemp got a little intimidated by Matumbo. Brian Williams was pretty damn good. Oh, talking. yes, he was. He right. was right. huge. And so was Robert Peck. But uh, I, I remember in at least a couple of games in that series. Game four. Fonz, especially in game 27 four. 27 points. Fonz was a monster. 19 yeah. rebounds. The end of games, monster. I will say this, jumpers. As fun as that, I'm going to get a little nostalgic here. Good. As fun as that team was at that time, uh-huh. the best Nuggets teams ever. Were the Doug Mo teams? No, oh, yeah, yeah. Doug set the tone. Yeah, and and Alan Bristow was his assistant coach, yep. and Bill Ficky at times, two very friendly guys who would sit and talk with you forever and tell you anything you wanted to know. Yeah, and they had guys who were just so personable. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was because we were younger and we were around the same age as a lot of the players, yeah. like Hanslick and Shays and Fat Lever and Mike Adams and Alex English. Those teams were so much fun. The locker room was the size of a closet. So when you were in there, everybody knew each other. You had to be comfortable with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doug would talk to us forever Mm -hmm. and tell us anything we wanted to know. Those were fun days. But you know what? It's a different day and age now. The money is so much bigger. Uh, The players travel with entourages or posses. Charter flights. Charter Charter flights. Yeah. very, very different. You, know, you don't have chopper. You don't have chopper traveling. doing all the no. all the no. all the stuff. You know, and that's. I mean, I listen. I my favorite. Would you agree with that, Sandy? Absolutely. Those Dugmo teams. Absolutely. They were fun to be around. We we sat okay. Last we sat with San, uh, Sandy. I think the first time we did a podcast with him, and we sat for another two and a half hours after the podcast, just talking old Nugget stuff. I mean, yeah. like memories about about that time, and I think. For me personally, when I go to, we all talk about nostalgia. I always go back to '94 because that's the, what I remember. My first memories as a this will make you feel old, and I don't really mean it to be that. Um, my first real memories as a basketball watching basketball was the '85 Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. And one of my most vivid memories is Dan Issel hitting that three pointer in that blowout in Game Five in L.A. I was there, and, and the, I remember and the forum crowd giving him a standing ovation. Yes, that's one of my. That's one of my. Most vivid three memories. point yeah. shots. They yeah. lost by about fifty points that night. Oh man! 
But what if, uh, if they, they had, all remember that last three? If they had yeah. English, would they have taken that to seven games? Uh, I I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, that was a Kareem Abdul Jabbar special. Uh, Did the elbow. In the midst of a game in which Alex was approaching the kind of numbers that we were talking about with uh, Fonz oh, a few well, minutes yeah, ago. He, uh, he, he had 30 points, and it was like a couple minutes into the third quarter. Into the third quarter. The third quarter. Exactly right. Was, and uh, in the fourth game, uh, the Nuggets were down two games to one, uh, had been blown out. It was an interesting series. Every game except the fourth game was a blowout. Yep. You know, the Nuggets nice. won the second game in L.A. Yeah. even more emphatically than the Lakers who won the first. first Lakers won yeah. like 136-118 in game three. Came back for game four, and that was the best game of the series. Was it Mike Evans and, hit a three-pointers at the yeah. end to yeah. like, get Absol- like, tired Absolutely. or something. You, you yeah. know what just struck me, guys? We're talking nostalgically, yeah. fondly about teams from the 80s with Doug <laughs> Moe. Uh, we talked not so fondly about teams from the 90s that were coached by Paul Westhead. Um, 2000s, when they got good with Carmelo and under George Carl, Chauncey, and, and the team now. And, and what do all those teams have in common? Nobody's won an NBA title. That's in true. fact, nobody's gotten to the NBA Finals. That's true. Nobody. That's nobody. True. Not one of these Nuggets teams. That's and, true. and it all comes down to the same thing. Does any of what we're talking about really matter <laughs> until they get a superstar here? Does any of it matter? Well, I mean, from an entertainment standpoint, but, sure. Well, and, and, but, but, they, but they have that superstar in Carmelo. And well, they had one year, see, I don't 08, 09, I don't which they were close. Su- I don't call him a superstar, Sandy. Well, no. and, and I don't call him a but superstar model, because right? I don't think they, they, they he makes the guys around him better. Okay. And I think that's one of the things that goes into making a player a superstar. Well, okay, it, okay but let's, let's look at this, though. If the Nuggets in 2009-2010, they were literally, I mean, I think you'll agree with this, Sandy. Yes. They were one of the best teams in basketball. I thought they were Probably better indeed. that year than they had been yeah. the year before because Ty was here. I remember one game out in L.A. in January, I think, of that year. Chauncey was out. Carmelo was out. And they plugged the Lakers and plugged them good. And, and the Lakers weren't all beat up that night either. I, mean, the, uh, uh, they, I think that team could have gone at least as far as the team had gone the previous year. And I think it was a better Gunson. team. But, but. The fatal flaw on that team was always with what killed them in Game Six in, in the Pepsi Center. It was that they were a team that only cared to a certain point, and that I saw a team quit in Game Six in the Western in Conference Finals. Yeah. In no question. Who was the le- and who was the leader of that team? And Carmelo Anthony. Okay. But and 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 that is oh, listen, Melo. <laughs> <laughs> leaders don't quit. You're gonna. You're, Jeff, gonna, you're going quit. to make me go through a soliloquy. Leaders don't <laughs> quit, Jeff. <laughs> he was okay. He was not He's, alone, Carmelo. On let's that just occasion. say that he was. Yeah, and I, I think he was not alone. In what happened in Utah the next year, but if no, Birdman, he's, he's much less culpable in Utah the next year. I remember him screaming. Remember him screaming at Birdman or something for like missing a shot, and and, and Birdman was maybe because like, Carmelo wanted that shot. Yeah, instead. it could be. <laughs> but I think it was Carmelo well, had a good series he, against he had, Utah in he had a good series. No Leaders complaints. lift. Yeah, they and don't I, quit. I will say, I mean, there, Carmelo has a lot of flaws, but will we see another player as good as him? On the, on, if know, on the I could be so bold as to project, I don't believe there is a player in this draft, uh, no matter where the Nuggets select, who will have the impact on the Nuggets that Carmelo did that first year. Well, that'd be hard. Well, that, that's fair. I, I'm a big Carmelo critic, but that's fair. Yeah. This was a this was a franchise that was irrelevant at the time oh, and yeah. had gone through 
the better part of a decade uh, as a really bad franchise. Awful. Look, that, they, they got there because of Carmelo, yeah. but he could only take them so far yeah. because of his nature. That's true. No, no, and I can't disagree with that. I cannot disagree with that, and I, I think George would say the same thing. And, I, and, they, and they were, at least until this year, better without him. That is true. What's their record? The Nuggets? Uh, third, 25 and 30. And what's One. the Knicks record with Carmelo? Oh, 25 and 30. 21 and, 21 and 36, 36, I believe. Yeah. That's awesome. I think I just won <laughs> hey, that. Okay. Today. Les is just like boring <laughs> his eyes into me right now. So. <laughs> well, let's do this. When we had each of you on individually, Sandy, you it's told It's a shame because J.R. Smith has been such a... Uplifting force. Oh this my goodness! And Ray Fowler, the worst player in the NBA. What's wrong the with worst him? Player Seriously, in the NBA. there's something wrong with him mentally. I, I, that's before Ray Felton. Ray Felton gun and issues, then right? Like a gun oh, felony. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but Sandy, wow. when we had you on the podcast, you told us how you got your start in Denver. Last you did the same thing. How about you two? When did you guys meet? And do you guys remember when you guys met in the Colorado market well, here? It, yeah, I w- we worked out of the same building when, when Les first At came to town. At the very beginning of 1984. On Lincoln Street. Really? KOA. KOA was, was then still the radio situated station. on Lincoln Street right. in the same building with Channel 4. Right. Which was KOA TV. Yes. KOA TV. Until it changed to KCNC. KCNC? Yeah. yeah. So it, it had to be right around 84, 85. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I didn't like him then either. <laughs> think of all like, thirty years of dislike. <laughs> think of all downright hatred at times. Yeah, yeah, that's been thirty years. That's amazing, though. I mean, I, I remember watching you on television and listening to poor, poor Sandy having to deal with the the drunk people after Broncos games, which was Bronco talk, Bronco talk with Sandy. Clark. No, what I remember about those days too, and I, I think Les did this on occasion. Uh, Ron did it all the time. Uh, our talk studio, uh, which was minuscule, uh, the TV guy would do his yeah. 5.30 sportscast. Our talk show, I believe, started at 6 o'clock in Wonder Town, like we're doing right now. And it was wonderful talk radio, and I don't know that we have the same feeling about talk radio now, maybe as we did back then. It was more informal back then. And, you know, Ron would just show up, or, 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 or you, or Alan Berg I, I came would, in, I came in right at there. the end there, and the radio station was leaving the building. Yeah. So I never right, got right. the opportunity to do that. But you yeah. did it, Al Albert did it, Larry Zimmer, yeah. Bob Martin. All those guys were going back and forth, TV to radio, right. radio to TV. Exactly right. Yeah. Al was at the... Before you got here, I went the other way with uh, ridiculous results. Fortunately, it was only on weekends, or for the most part on weekends, and very few people were watching. It might have been the way you dressed, Sandy. <laughs> I mean, n- nobody, nobody was ever going to put you on the cover of GQ, all right? <laughs> no, no, you're right about that. <laughs> right about that. Les was always stylish. Was no, 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 no. Are you kidding me? Always I had No, no, no. When I first got here, I came from Peoria, Illinois, okay? Yeah. You know, I was wearing overalls on the air there. <laughs> when I came here, you know who taught me how to dress better? It was Zapolo. Zapolo always was a fashionista, always dressed immaculately. And, uh, and I <laughs> tried to follow his lead. I never looked as good in the same suit, you know, that, the, the same style that he wore. Uh, and to this day, Ron is, a, is an immaculate What dresser. is he doing now? What is Ron doing now? I think he's, he's enjoying retirement. His idea was that he would take at least a year and do nothing. I hope 
now that that year is basically always, expired, that he uh, well, and eventually gets, gets involved in, again into sure. sports in some in some way, yeah. shape. I or could form. tell him. I always think he'd like. You know, what I think he'd like to do. Maybe I'm talking out of school here, but Sandy, you know him better if you know, oh, as well, if not better you than do, me. Um, I, I think he'd probably like to call basketball. Yeah, I remember he used. He to always do that. loved. He loved the Nuggets yeah. and the NBA more than more than any other sport. Uh, he did love hockey, but he loved to call. He's on that basketball. cable package with about yeah. three or four viewers back in the eighties. Yeah. I think it was before you got back, here. Back in the early eighties, I remember uh, watching games with. Uh, well, Al Albert was at the Carl Shear uh, ce- yeah. celebration, which was. I mean, I that was a wonderful the night. voice. The voice I hear in my head. Of Nuggets games is Al Albert. Absolutely, he and was so good. Uh, he was just—I uh, mean, yeah. You know, Al had Al had personal things that took him away from the broadcast booth. Um, I think he was raising a daughter solo, um, and, and he wanted to give her more time. But boy, I, I miss him on the games. Nothing against you know Chris Marlowe. I miss Al Albert on the games. He was good. I oh, mean, he was wow. every bit as good as his brother Marv. I, I think having grown up listening to Marv and having gotten to know Al through. Uh, the years, for my money, purely as a radio play-by-play man, and if Nugget fans around here know Al, it's probably more from television than it is from radio. Prime sports. But I listened to Al doing Nets games on the radio back in New York, and then in the mid-'70s moving out here to become uh, the voice of the Nuggets in association with Carl Shearer's arrival and Larry Brown and Doug Moe and... uh, a glorious era in Nugget basketball history. I thought Al was as good on radio play-by-play doing basketball yeah. as anybody who's ever lived. My dad. That's high press. My dad yeah. had burned into his head because he worked at Greyhound uh, when uh, they the Nuggets were in the ABA, and he said that he would listen to the Nuggets games on the radio while he was you know, working uh, on the buses out there. And um, he was working simultaneously at uh, the Rocky Mountain News, and he would he would listen to Al Albert on the call. And then he said one of the greatest one a good moment was when Al came in to pick up a package <laughs> at the Greyhound bus station. And he said it's like oh it's Al Albert it's the guy on the radio <laughs> you know and it was it was he was like but to hear him call it because when he thinks about Dan Issel shooting a shot it's Al Albert's call you know uh, a uh, what was it an Issel missile Issel missile. You know, and then he goes to you know switch, all the all the things that go on. You know, I don't necessarily think we've got the identifiable calls anymore. You know, from the radio guys, we and we I mean, cause is cause is I like cause, but I mean he doesn't have it, and Marlo Love doesn't have all that. I don't know, you know if you're aware of this, Jeff. Um, I know your dad a little bit. He told me you were actually conceived on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> While listening to Al Indeed. Albert. And while listening to Al Albert <laughs> and uh, holding a... And he yelled out, it's the Issel Missile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to catch you. Les Shapiro, ladies and gentlemen. He'll be here all week. Swish. We found our next Les soundbite for the <laughs> podcast. We have right and there. And he used his brother's call at the end. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh my God! We're gonna have to. We, we, that's awesome. That'll be number two for for last there. We number two. Uh, that's good. Well, guys, we can't thank you enough for coming down. Oh, it's been us amazing. Thank you. We're done. We haven't talked here. rapids at all. <laughs> we <laughs> still got to get into the soccer talk. <laughs> got the World Cup around the corner. Yeah. But thank you guys for joining us, Sandy. Again, thank you. I, Always a pleasure, fellas. I think this is your 
third one for both of you guys? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little worried, too. I, I didn't know um, doing it with Sandy if, uh, if I'd get a word in edgewise. But thank you, Sandy, for, for allowing me to do that. Well, I had to take a break earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Gave you a little opening. <laughs> it's been amazing, you guys. And, of course, you guys have an open invitation to come back whenever you want. So okay. Next week. sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it all again next week. Maybe we'll get uh, We're going to have to pretend not to do it next week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still fifth mic, so find some consistency. We'll give him the headphones. Don't hit the play button. <laughs> <laughs> talking to nothing. Awesome. Well, we'll be back next week. Sandy, thanks again. Your new time slot for you with Noon to Scott 3 as of Monday, March 3rd. On 104.3. Head to head. 104.3 The Fan. And CJ and Les, Noon to 3, 102.3 The Fan. Uh, God, I, <laughs> I almost said The Fan. Thanks for the post. 102.3 ESPN. Awesome. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.